Welcome to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, a foster and adoptive and bio mama and a therapist in private practice. I'm here to help foster mamas feel seen, heard, and supported on their journey. From quick, actionable steps to make your foster care journey easier to interviews with foster and adoptive mamas, the Fearless Fostering Podcast delivers education and encouragement weekly. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, and I'm so excited to be joined by Jasmine Sanders today. She is a media personality, a journalist. She is the co-host of the DL Hughley Show. She is a fantastic human being. And so thank you, Jasmine, for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me, Kathleen. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I mean, I stumbled across your Instagram account and that's how I first came in contact with you. And the first thing I noticed was just your hashtag adopted and winning. And mm-hmm. as an adoptive and foster mom myself, and many of the listeners in the audience are as well, I was like, I think I need to know more about this story because that just really resonated with me. Um, my kids are super young still, but I'm that's what I hope for them, right? Is that they're going to be <laughs> winning someday. Um, yes. Tell me a little bit, I guess, about your story, your background, if you don't mind. Well, I really didn't learn about my adoption until I was probably about 12, I'd say. Uh, and I found out because of my brother. We were being nosy as kids do. And my adoptive mom, whom I call Mama, uh, she had written, she was a school teacher. So she had written this small, uh, paragraph about herself going into the next school year, I guess, to let the administration know more about her. And she said, you know, my name is, and I'm married to this wonderful guy and have two beautiful adopted children. Now, my brother knew what that was because he's older than me, but I had no idea. And I didn't wait around for him to tell me. So I went to school and I would use it as a weapon, right? I'd say, you're just mad because I'm adopted and you're not. Because I thought it meant, you know, really special or magical. I didn't know. And so the teacher had to say to me, don't do that. Do you know what you're saying? Now, understand this was in the 70s. This -hmm. is when it was really taboo to talk about that kind of thing. And so that's when I first found out uh, it would be years later before I'd go on a journey to find my biological family. But the one thing that I realized fairly early on in my career is, you know, the old adage to much given, much required. I didn't find out about being in the foster care system until I found, well, actually until I was able to get my folders, my, my file. And that's where I found out I had three foster families and I was like, what? And so it really kind of put me in touch with the side of me that I didn't know. And I felt, wow, how blessed and lucky am I that I was able to get adopted out of the system. But I felt this strong need to talk to other people who were either in the the, uh, foster care system or other people who had been adopted so that I could try to get rid of that stigma of being ashamed or embarrassed or, you know, this whole thing about adopted kids or kids who are in the foster care system are somehow broken and they have all of these issues. Hence the hashtag adopted and winning because I wanted people to know I'm adopted, but that's just part of who I am. I'm a winner. Mm-hmm. And I am resilient in everything that I do. And so I, I just started that. And it has really struck a chord with a lot of people who were also adopted as well. And so and hence this conversation. I'm always happy to be able to connect with people like you uh, so that we can work together 
just in terms of bringing real awareness, not just one time a year or really twice when we have foster care awareness month and adoption awareness month. I'm like, okay, so what else are we supposed to do the rest of the year? Exactly. <laughs> and so I'm just on this mission to say, listen, look at me. I am fabulous. And it is because I was adopted. It is because of the things that I've gone through. And I just want to spread that with other people. Mm, I love that so much. And it's just, I'm getting like teary eyed because I'm just like, yes, like I want my kids to claim that someday too, that that is a part of their story. It's not, it doesn't define them, but it's a part of their story and there's no shame. But I'm curious to know, just as a person who's been adopted out of foster care, what can foster and adoptive moms do to reduce that shame that maybe might be lingering around that story? I will say this and I it's my story and I'm sticking to it. I'll stick to it until I am gone. And that is, it starts with honesty. Part of the problem for me was everyone knew except for me. Even now, as I'm older, I'm having these conversations with relatives who say, oh, we were never allowed to say that. We couldn't speak that. And in my head, I'm like, well, you understand, I don't know any good thing that's a secret except for a surprise birthday party. That's fantastic. <laughs> but I don't know of anything that you tell people not to talk about and you speak about it in hushed tones. That signifies something you're ashamed of. And so I think the first thing I would say is just be honest. I think kids are far more resilient than we give them credit for. I also think that it is not only your life but it is also their life and part of their story. So I think if we give children who are, you know, in that situation as foster kids, the opportunity to craft their own narrative, as opposed to making them feel as though something's wrong with you, or we're not going to talk about that. And it's the one thing that I wished my adoptive parents would have done. I don't remember my foster families, although I am on a mission to try to find them to say, thank you for taking great care of me. I, I don't know the conversations we had because I was so young. I, I, I was adopted finally at like four and a half, almost five. And I don't remember those years or, you know, moving from home to home. And, and that could be a blessing. But I know they took good care of me because look at me now. Yes. <laughs> so I think that's important. But I think having that conversation and being a soft place to land, even if it's just in conversation and, and the reassurance that, you know, everybody, regardless of your situation, you know, you're going to have bumps and bruises in life. That's what life is. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happened to you. And so I would say that to foster families. Just be honest, be kind, be loving, because that's really all kids need is someone to love them and remind them that they are a miracle because they are here. Mm. That's what I would say is the best place to begin. Thank you for saying that. It's so just validating and encouraging to me and I'm sure to so many others because it is not easy to navigate these conversations. My little ones are, you know, still very young, two and three. Mm. So, but we, my son just said today out of nowhere, he's like, mom, I come into your family. And I was like, yes, now you're in our family, but we haven't talked about it in weeks or months, you know, till, since he last brought it up. But I'm like, he's three. Hopefully he'll just know that we can always talk about this, that there's no shame. Well, Kathleen, and the other thing I, I think is important to note is that there's not a book or, or a particular formula that is correct in terms of this is the appropriate age. I think you have to look like, you know, your children, you know, you know, everything about them in terms of where they are and what they can handle. And those types of conversations, I think need to happen when you're ready for them. 
Mm-hmm. And when you think they can understand it, but I don't think that you have to beat them over the head with the constantly or say, oh my gosh, you're turning four. It's time for the conversation. <laughs> I don't think yeah. that's it. I think you feel it. And you know, when they become inquisitive, you don't shut it down. You have a conversation. And, you know, to me, it's a lot like having the conversation about, you know, when I was a kid, they called it the birds and the bees. And I'm like, that's confusing. What about <laughs> these birds and bees? Like, I think it's a conversation you use in, in terms that they understand, but you you can't make it so magical that now it's also kind of like a fairy tale. I think there, mm-hmm. there has to be some truth in it. Mm, so good. And I actually love that you said you don't have to beat him over the head with it. Cause I literally, I, my therapist said the same thing to me. I'm like, I just want to make sure I'm doing this right. And he's like, you need to all the way relax. Like you need to chill all the way out. Like they're going to be, they, they know they're loved. They know they're attached to your family. Like, okay. He's like, you don't need to talk about it every day. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's just good to know. You know, just good to hear. Absolutely. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know really quickly about some amazing free resources for foster mamas on my website, fearlessfostering.com. I have a self-care quiz that will help you decide exactly what type of self-care you need at this point on your foster care journey, as well as a virtual retreat for foster mamas and an anxiety reducing email course, all for free. Check it out right now on fearlessfostering.com. So what was it like for you, Jasmine, when you made this discovery at age 12? Did you then talk to your adoptive mama about it? What, what did that look like for you guys? Well, for me, it was it was not very healthy the way that I handled it. But I think also because I was 12 and I was at that age where, you know, I'm a preteen. You know, I got a little preteen attitude <laughs> and, and I'm a girl, you know, so I'm fighting to establish my identity. And you know, anything that is negative or that I perceived wasn't going my way, I would always in my head say things like, well, she's not my mama anyway. And so I think the way that it was introduced to me, because there was the absence of these honest and transparent conversations, I created an improper narrative about the story around it. And so for me and my mama, it was it was always a very source of contention. We, we never talked about it. I didn't tell her I knew. She didn't find out for maybe another year and a half. And the way it came out, I'm so ashamed to say, but I think this is, I say it, even though it hurts me to say it out loud, I think it's important because I want people to truly understand the bitterness that can happen when you don't have these conversations. But, you know, she had asked me something like, you know, well, not ask. I'm a, I'm a girl raised in the South. She told me to wash the dishes and I forgot she got mad at me about it. And I understand it now as a woman of a certain age, having, I get it. She was teaching me discipline. I get it. But at the time I'm a kid. So I'm thinking like a kid. And so I yelled it out. You ain't my mama. You can't say, oh, and I know now how hurtful that must have been to her. But I think it also further compounds the, the fact that it's so important to have honest conversations at the moment that you think kids need to know. Because I was walking around in a bubble believing, I know I don't look like anybody in this family, but they have to be my family because why else would they have me? And so I felt betrayed. I felt, did she steal me? Mm-hmm. Like I have got to get out there and find my, they are probably looking for me now. And I think that's what happens when you leave kids to their own devices. So now, honey, I'm thinking everyone from Minnie Ripperton to Sister Sledge, <laughs> those are my sisters. <laughs> they have to be because we look alike. But again, absent the truth, you make up and fill in the blanks. 
And so now I'm trying to sing because I'm like, I must be talented because they are my sisters. That's my family, all of which was not true, obviously. But so I, I think back to that and I believe everything happens for a reason. And I think maybe I needed to go through that because the universe knew that one day I would have this kind of platform to be able to say, I'm telling you from experience. It would have been so great to have a conversation with my mama to say, now, you didn't come from me, but you come of me. And that's equally as important. And this, the love I have for you will also send you flying and sailing in the same way as if you had come from me. I would have understood that, but not talking about it, staying silent and secretive, I began to make up my own story. And so for me, it was a, a devastating find. And, and I think it, it put a wedge between me and her for many years until I got old enough to really understand. So let me get this straight. This is after I understood the birds and the bees too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, my mom, my mom and my daddy said, we didn't give birth to her, but we're going to take her in and we're going to love her, provide for her, you know, always be there for her. You know, even when some of the stuff she does is crazy, we are still going to love her. And as I got older and realized what that meant and what it did for me in terms of allowing me to become the person and the woman that I am today. Everything from my tenacity to my passion and my zest for life and for family, all of those things would not have been possible without them. And I realized how important that was. And so in my mind, even though later on I would meet my biological mother, I knew my mama and she was always my mama and nothing could change that. The same thing with my daddy. Yes, oh, that's so... So great to hear. And I'm just so thankful for your perspective on that. I would be curious though, how did that go when you, when you reached out and found bio mom and, and you, did your mama know about that? Like, how did that go down? Girl, that's a, that's a lifetime movie. (laughs) So now the thing about where I was adopted, I was adopted in the state of Tennessee which had a a closed file adoption basically where you could never, ever, ever get your information. Well, as soon as I found out I was adopted, I've always been a bit of a journalist at heart. So (laughs) I began writing letters as early as probably 15. And they would, they would, they would correspond with me that, but they would never give me information. One was you have to be 16 for us to just acknowledge your letter. Then you have to be 18 in order for us to say yes or no. Then you have to be 21 in order for us to even give you any information. And then 25, it was this long process, but being tenacious as I am, I I wrote them all the time. So that at a point in Tennessee, they had this back and forth between the a group of people who considered themselves the right to know kind of people that felt we're the ones who were adopted. We have a right to our information, even if it's just medical history for obvious reasons. Then you had the women who had given these children up for adoption or placed them in foster care who said, you promised us anonymity. And so for about two or three days, the court overturned that law. And my letter was one of like 200 to get through to give me access to my birth records. And I kid you not, two or three days later, they, 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 they turned that law back over and it's been closed ever since. 
So I was so lucky and blessed. And that's how I was able to, to, to get information. But even then they were like, if you contact her without us doing it for you, you could go to jail up to a year. I was like, okay, wait, 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 wait. I want to see my mother. And you're telling me if I contact her, it's illegal. And they were like, yes, you can only have the files, but you can't do anything with it. You have to go through us. So I did that. I did all of the necessary paperwork. She was aware of me, I would later find out. And we reconnected. It turned out I was actually my family, my biological family from New York, completely the opposite of where I was raised and born. I was born and raised on a small uh, farm in Tennessee to find that they are New Yorkers was such a complete opposite thing. But yeah, she, she, she agreed to meet me and I found out I had brothers and I met a slew of other relatives. Uh, unfortunately, she died shortly after I was able to meet her. And so we really didn't get to talk much. I think she was riddled with guilt over the years. Uh, she ended up being an alcoholic and just a lot of bad things. But even though it wasn't the storybook romance kind of or romantic idea that I had in my head it would be, um, like, I thought she was going to be the queen of England, you know, and she was going to be super rich, you know, all of that girl. It was none of that, <laughs> but it was okay. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything because I got to look and see my face, which I had longed to do. And I, I wanted my mama who also passed away before I was able to tell her that I had met my biological mother, but I wanted her to always know just because I'm curious to see and know where I came from, I am not trying to replace you. And I never called her mother. She was always Pat or mom, mm -hmm. but my mama was my mama and mm -hmm. nothing changes it. And I know out of um, all the people that I've spoken to, they all say the same thing. I just don't want to be replaced. And I'm scared she'll try to, I'm like, they're not going to do that. They're just not, it's imp mm -hmm. not impossible, but it's not going to happen. Thank you for saying that. I mean, really, like, it's so helpful, I think. And this is why I, I hope and we try to, you know, uplift the voices of former foster youth and adoptees because your stories are so, you know, important for us as foster moms and adoptive moms to hear. We need to know, you know, there's a lot of fear sometimes, I think. And this is why I actually need this, the Fearless Fostering podcast. And what I do is because as a psychotherapist, I try to help people you know, reduce their fear and anxiety and stress and foster care is full of it all. You know, when you raise these kids, it's like, you just want to do right by them. You just want them to have, you know, this loving support, but you are a little bit fearful and maybe a lot fearful over I have been of like, how's this going to be? How's this going to work out? So I think it's just encouraging to hear a story of someone like yourself. They're like, yeah, no, all these things happen. And here's how, here's who I am. I'm tenacious. I'm like vivacious. I'm out there. I'm doing it. I'm living my best life. And you're like famous. So that's amazing too. Like, <laughs> tell me about your career and like how that all started for you. Well, I have always been a bit of a cad since I was a kid. You know, I was the one that would show out. I was the one who wanted to be center stage all the time. And I'm just so thankful that I had teachers around me who didn't try to squeeze that magic out of me. Some people would have called it mischievous and bad or all of that. But I had great teachers who just said, she's a creative spirit. Let her speak. And I think foster kids, adopted kids, because I know the teachers knew, I think we get a bad rep of, of being dysfunctional and disruptive and all of these things. But if you think about our situation, right, most of the time that that bond 
that you have being connected to a mother or just a nurturing spirit, period, is foreign in the womb. And so when you come out, they lay you on the mother so you know you're safe. Well, for me, I was adopted at birth. Well, not at birth. I was I was given away at birth. So I didn't have that. So, you know, I, I was always searching for people to connect with so that I could feel I am a part of something greater, right? And so for me, that came in the form of being funny or or always talking. And I was always, now my mama said I was nosy. I called it inquisitive, okay? <laughs> okay, I just saying, Kathleen, it was inquisitive for me. But that led me to, when I went to college, I knew whatever it was, I was gonna have to talk. I just didn't know I could get paid for it, okay? And so, you know, I that's really how I got into doing radio and TV. I just always felt I had something to say and I had an interesting perspective on things. And and I had, I, I've always thought that I was a great storyteller now. A great mathematician, I am not, but I can tell one heck of a story, okay? And so, you know, I, I went to college. I went for the best and the number one station in the market when I got out. I sat in their lobby every day for a week and landed a job. And it's the only thing I've done since then. And that was 1990. And I've been doing the same thing, talking and laughing and telling stories in between music. And, and it's just been a blessing. But I think part of that came from, you know, my travels as an adoptee and, and that journey and that self-exploration about who I was and I didn't want the definition of what I had always heard about foster kids or kids who were adopted. I didn't want that to define me. And so I made sure that I believed my story, not the one that they told me, but mine, the one I told myself. Mm-hmm. And so here I am, girl. Yes, <laughs> fabulous. I love it so much. And I'm just so thankful. I mean, you're just a light in this world and you're doing so much good work in, you know, in radio and in just the world in general and foster care and adoption. We're so thankful for your voice. I would love for people to be able to connect with you online. So where is the best place for them to do that? Uh, all my social media platforms uh, at I am Jasmine Sanders. Uh, I don't really tweet a lot, so you don't <laughs> have to follow me there. <laughs> but I'm on Instagram. I just started TikTok, girl. I know. Oh, don't don't I judge see me. Those don't TikToks. judge me. <laughs> Same thing with Facebook, and then of course, you know, the dlhugleyshow.com. I'm always there. But yeah, I would love to connect. And let me just say this to you: I love when I get the opportunity to collide with other people who are either on either side of this whole issue. I think it takes a special person to say, there's enough love in my heart that I'm going to give it even when I'm unsure. Because I think that's part of it. People don't want to say, I'm not sure they're going to love me back, or I'm not sure they're going to stay. That takes an extreme amount of courage and not a lot of people are willing to do it. But I, I want to just encourage you and to say, thank you for the work that you do and to let you know the love that you pour in will not be void. It will come back to you tenfold. It just will. And I know a lot of people have that fear of, well, what if I love them for this long? And then they go find their parents and they leave. I'm here to tell you, I, I can't, prove a negative, but I think very much in the same way as we as women hate to say, uh, dang, I ended up just like my mama. You know why? Because 
however you are raised, it's the circle of life. You will come back to that that you know best. And it will always be the love of a mother, period. There it is. Just the there truth. That's the mic drop moment right there. <laughs> Thank you so much. You are such a gift and I'm just so thankful we connected. So I'll make sure we link everything up for you in the show notes and just thanks again for your time, Jasmine. No problem. At any time I can be of a service or assistance, please call me. Just reach out. I'm here. Thank you. Thank you Bye-bye. so much. Take care. You too.